Hey Warriors and welcome back to another episode of Warrior Within. I do hope you had a great week. Mine wasn't too bad. I'm not sure if I was still getting over what I had a couple weeks ago last week, but uh, man, my coughing has been pretty bad. However, I do know that, like I have said, the tree allergies are around the corner. And so I may have to cough here and there and I'll try to mute, but it's been kind of rough on my throat and my sinuses. But today I've been not, it's been feeling pretty good. So anyway, so uh, let's see. So last week, you know, we've been going through this series about Armor 2, and last week was about guarding your hearts. This week I wanted to talk about renewing your mind um, based off of the Helm of Salvation. And there's a lot of things that have been kind of going on, um, as many of you have seen, you know, with the Super Bowl and the group I've warned you guys about before. And this is not going to be about that, but it is connected to understanding how our minds get influenced. There's a reason why this, the helmet of salvation is a, is very much important. It's connected to the understanding of what is salvation, but it's also very much connected to what we allow in our minds to influence us. You know, we talked about the heart last week and how it's dealing with righteousness and walking in righteousness. We need to talk about how our minds also are getting dictated or um, filled with ideologies and stuff that come in that sound good, but are not biblically good. Because we know what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. Dying in the sense that he literally died and was buried. And he rose again. To, and he was, you know, he came to life again. He came to save. The world's already been condemned. The world is under God's judgment. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus is under that same judgment. If they don't know Jesus, their judgment is death for eternity. There, there's no if, ors, or buts. There's nothing that we can do that would change that perspective. Jesus came and died for those people. He died for those that don't know him. He died for those who are born in sin and have fallen short. Just like us. We, we, we had fallen short. We were enslaved by sin. We are condemned to eternal death. And yet God provided a savior for his human creation. So what does the mind have to do with it all? Humanity in, its, in itself, whether you're a guy or a woman, struggles with identity. We see it very plain in day all the time, constantly, as social media bombards us with what is the correct way of looking at people. You should be calling them what they think they feel they are. Humans also feel like they're not valued. 
know, disabled people, mentally disturbed people feel like if they were never born, that would be better. There's people who th think that killing a baby because they're going to have a disability is merciful. Let alone we have the value of older people who think they're worthless because they don't have the strength they once had. And yet in scripture, it teaches all the time to look to the wisdom of the older. I wonder why. We struggle with all types of sins. We struggle with taking in the cultural ideologies all around us and trying to fit it in there every day because we want to kind of fit in. I mean, high school, middle school, elementary, we are like our whole hierarchy of school life, which I always think is funny because when we were in school, it was like its own government or country. There were those that were popular, there was those unpopular, there was those that were super smart, those that were dumb, those who were troublemakers, those who just trying to you know, move along in life. Sometimes as adults, we forget how hard it was trying to grow up with all the emotions, all the changes, our body growing, you know, the drives in, inside us to do things. It was playing day hard. And yet we still kind of struggle with all that today. It's the same concept, the popular, the unpopular, the weak, the strong, the sports ones, the non-sport ones, the ones that struggle with weight, those that don't struggle with weight. It's, a, it's like a constant cycle, a bombardment of ideologies that we are being given. And our identities are getting put under one of these categories to a point where we don't even ask God. What is our identity? It's supposed to be in Christ. It's supposed to be a biblical perspective in how we're supposed to perceive this world. But yet, even today, we see even more how easily it is to influence the Christian culture with things that make them feel more important, make them feel valued, make them feel like they have an identity more spiritual or jumping on ideologies that could do amazing things, even if they're teaching false ideology. And we use phrases and words because we hear it all the time. So it must be true because, you know, so-and-so is a Christian. Well, my pastor said it, so it must be true. So I, I, could, I could repeat that. But we keep forgetting that we were given the Holy Spirit when Jesus left. Our minds need to be protected. And the Holy Spirit helps us to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is a lie, what is true. But you can only have that understanding if you know what the truth is versus what could be the truth, an opinion. Because we allow also with the sin issues, we allow the temptations to start getting into our minds. And the enemy knows all of this. The enemy has been planning out all this for decades and centuries of different ways to be able to convince us, but a lot of it hasn't really changed. The only thing that's changed is our culture. 
The only thing that's changed is how Christians perceive the scriptures. The only thing that's changed is the rules and regulations that we try to place on people. The only thing that has changed is everything else but the scriptures and the schemes of the, of the enemy. They're the only things that haven't changed. The enemy knows how to play the game with humans, how to throw in those temptations and thought, how to push you into situations or have you reason out, hey, you know, well, it's not really that bad. It's not really that bad. I mean, yeah, you know, it may not be 100% the truth, but hey, at least some people will get saved from it. Well, that's a maybe. But there's this appeal. There is this cry out, and we've used these verses several times over. And I know most of you probably even know them, but Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Why would we be being asked to appeal? Why are we being told we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? Why, why would that be an issue? Because there's something compromising in our minds. There's something getting into our heads telling us that our value to God is, is not as important or not. He doesn't really care about us. There's something in our minds telling us that, you know, hey, you know, this sin is not as bad as that sin. So maybe, maybe, maybe God won't really worry about that. There's something going in our heads when we accept ideology because it's close enough to the truth. Because it could make a difference because God can use anything. You know, he can take anything and reach people. The truth is he can, but he also tells us and teaches us to be ready to, to be mindful about the scriptures and the truth so that you can defend it, so that you can know it so you can have discernment, to know it so that you could tell others the truth and not accept the lies. But there's something else in our minds also telling us my identity has to be with my job, has to be, you know, having the right wife, has to be, you know, my, the car, the kids, the, the, the dog, the, the hobbies, the body physique of what I look like. That, that's my identity. There's a part of that that's also getting pumped into our brains when all God is asking us is as a living sacrifice, because we are living our life for him, we ought to be holy and acceptable to him which comes into the understanding that we need to know our scriptures, that we need to obey those scriptures, and we're supposed to live out the scriptures. Because in verse 2 it says, um, it's one of my favorite things, do not be conformed to this world. Why would that be an appeal to us to not conform? To conform, you are basically taking on something that's accepted by the world as okay, as their format of morality, their what religion is supposed to look like, what their what their mindset of what Jesus was supposed to be like. 
what the scriptures really say, what we're supposed to act like as Christians. It doesn't mean that we haven't failed in a lot of areas. I do think we have stuck too much in the trying to keep everybody perfect world concept versus actually being, we are broken people saved by grace, telling other people about the gospel message is how we're supposed to be. But we have been conforming. When the world can run around and say, man, I love this type of Christianity. I love how open and accepting this Christianity is. I love how this Jesus takes me where I'm at and doesn't force me to change anything in my life. Conforming is there. And we have pastors and teachers and Christian people out there teaching, writing books, doing YouTubes that aren't aren't questioning what they're supposed to be questioning. They aren't saying what they're supposed to be saying. They aren't defending the scriptures like they're supposed to be defending the scriptures. They're looking at things with the eyes of the potential of, well, this can bring people who are struggling in these areas to come to us. They are talking about um, like the new age culture, you know, how it's trying to get, like, to teach the church, hey, you could be more spiritual if you just do it this way, or if you look at it this way, or use the scriptures this way, or if you pray this way, or you have the spiritual guru that can work with you to, to make that better connection to the Holy Spirit. You have the connection to the Holy Spirit. You don't need someone to pray with you to gain better understanding of the Holy Spirit. You are given it. When you accepted Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit and he is there with you. And he is there beside you through every good thing, every bad thing. He is there to help you discern. He is there to help you to learn and study and obey. And he reminds you of the scriptures. He is there. You don't need a guru to tell you that, hey, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel him trying to reach you. You should be feeling that already because as in scripture, it tells you they dwell, he dwells in you. It says, do not conform to this world. If we accept anything that the world says is okay, we are accepting conforming to it. We're accepting moral laws that they think are moral laws. We're accepting the world we're conforming. If we are saying, uh, accepting views on Christianity and how Christianity is supposed to be, because the world tells us this is how Christianity is supposed to be, we are conforming to this world. Should, not, should that not be a concern for us? Because right after that, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. <clears throat> There's a reason why <clears throat> the facts of Scripture, the facts that we are supposed to stand by, the truth, right? The truth 
is facts, is it's absolute truth, is absolute morals, is absolute ideologies that have never ever changed. They still exist and they're still there. <clears throat> but yet somehow we have started to question whether that's what that really means. Because the thing is, as we question what, what that actually really means, we're starting to be more accepting of world ideology in our thoughts and how we think, how we perceive living, how we uh, basically mum, like put in our brains enough to start kind of creating our own opinion of truth. We walk away from what is true because, man, this other way seems better. It makes Christianity even more exciting. It makes it makes it feel like it's more acceptable. Man, it seems like it's just reaching a lost. See, the thing is, <clears throat> the straight and narrow is the path. Wide is the world. We shouldn't be expecting like hundreds of people running to Jesus because they're not going to want to. The, the only the only one that has any capability of changing a mind or reaching a heart is the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be ambassadors. We're supposed to be sharing the truth. We're supposed to be talking. We're supposed to be defending it. We're supposed to speak about it. We're supposed to talk about who Jesus is. We're supposed to talk about sin. We're supposed to talk about, hey, you're living in it, and, and the only way you could find joy, can find grace, can find peace, can find truth, is through Jesus and Jesus only. This is the uh, the next part is about the sober mindset that we're supposed to have. First Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Guys, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to always be holy. We're not going to always tell the truth, do the right thing, act right, not get upset. <clears throat> we're going to fail. And there's going to be times where it just seems like, man, I was awful. But this is where it comes to understanding, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. We need to prepare our minds, which means studying the scriptures, which means obeying the scriptures, means living out the scriptures as we're supposed to be so that our minds are clear, sober-minded, You know, the definition at Bible tools, this is what, how they describe sober-minded. To be sober, to behave in an orderly manner, serious, sane, sound-minded, discreet, self-disciplined, prudent, moderate. This means there is a form of practicing how to be sober-minded. How to live holy. We can run around thinking that 
well, you know, this is, may not be too bad. You know, I do go to church. I do Sunday school class. I do Bible study. I pray all the time. You know, that should be enough. That should be enough. No, we're supposed to have our mindset on God. And I could tell you this, I fail at this. You're going to fail at this. There's going to be times where things of this world are going to be way more enticing because it still fulfills the flesh desires that we do have. That is why Paul says he does the things that he wish he didn't do, and he doesn't do the things as he should be doing. Paul, a guy who we kind of put as like, he, you know, and there's no way he makes mistakes. He does. He tells us that he does. So we can't use as an excuse, well, I failed too much. I made too many mistakes. God can't use me. No, 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 no. He can. Because you're allowing things to fill your mind and your heart to tell you that you can't. That you're too far gone to actually be used biblically. We treat pastors as if they're so holy that they have the capability of doing more than we can. Anybody can. No, no, no. Pastors fail. Pastors struggle. Pastors have sinned. As you have seen in the past few years, as things have been revealed, you have seen that there's things that get hidden because they get treated as like they're the top line spiritual leader so high that when they are caught making a mistake, it's like, <gasps> I can't believe that. Well, guess what, people? Pastors fail. They do sin. That's why they need accountability too. That's why they need to have brothers and sisters that are praying for them and caring for them and encouraging them. That's why, you know, their wife struggles too. They struggle as well. And they need a wife who also keep them accountable and encourage them. This is why it's harder. Like I always tell guys and tell people like sometimes being a pastor is a very lonely job. Because either people are too afraid to hang out with them because they think they're going to get so-called judged all the time, or two, it's they use or abuse the relationship because they're, hey, they're friends with the pastor. Let's take a quick break. But if you go later in verses 22 to 23, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living in the abiding word of God. Now this is talking about brotherly love towards brothers and sisters of Christ. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, because this is written to Christians. <clears throat> the idea is to help you to understand that as you purify yourself, as you're walking with the Lord, as you're staying soberly, soberly minded, as you are taking action of scripture, that means doing what it says, preparing your minds for it, and walking in holiness, you will be able to love others as you're supposed to, and you will love your brothers and sisters of Christ as you're supposed to. It's all part of the connection, but there is a key thing. Repenting is highly, highly, highly needed. You know, having your minds not like thinking and wandering into things that you're not supposed to be doing. 
chasing after sins because you think, hey, you know, I'm, I've already done so much bad. There's no way God can use me. See, there's a lot of schemes and lies going on around us that's penetrating our minds that may not be influenced by other people, but it's influenced because of the sin nature and the enemy knows that. And as long as you are chasing after those things, they don't, you know, the enemy doesn't have to worry about you, doesn't have to step in, doesn't have to try to get you to go, oh, no, 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 keep doing that. Because once you're kind of flowing into that direction, they just kind of let you go. They kind of just say, you know, they kind of push you a little bit and you, they just let you slide down the slide. You know what I mean? And the thing is, like, I, the one thing I keep noticing every time I go through the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the helmet of salvation, there is a connection between the heart and mind. You know, we talked about the heart and we talked about how it's the spiritual heart, the spiritual mind of ourselves, like, our, you know, what, what we think spiritually, where the helmet to me is more of the actual mindset, how we think. So literally in our brains, what, whatever we feed it, how we think to other people, there's a connection between the two. Whatever you fill your minds will start affecting your heart. Whatever you fill your heart will start affecting your mind. False ideology goes both ways on this. You know, hunger of, of your de personal desires of the flesh overwhelming your heart so much it starts affecting the way you think. This is why it's important to guard your hearts, but it's also important to guard your minds. Because here's the thing is, there, the saying is, if you continue to just keep saying a lie over and over and over and over and over again, eventually it will be considered true. The Nazis, the Nazi Germans use this method. They kind of constantly will bombard with lies to their people so much that the German Nazi citizens would believe the lie. And we see this everywhere in our culture today. How often have we actually stopped and actually read beyond the titles of articles? How often have we taken the time to research after we saw a tweet or a message or a little short video? How often have we just accepted what we have heard and seen easily without even doing any research? How often do we hear pastors and other leaders saying similar concepts is, well, we accepted something, but I don't know much about it. We're a part of this group, but I don't, I don't know much about what, who's behind it. This is very important and it's also very dangerous. And you as men, and even you as women who are listening, the men, and I'm going to talk to you guys, you are the leaders of your home guardians of your home you are the one that's supposed to be the spiritual leader should be stepping up because this is the thing is how many times do we listen to the pastor listen to that podcaster like me 
listen to the streamer, listen to the content creator, and actually double check the scriptures. Because I remember growing up in high school, and I would reuse a lot of what I would hear the pastor say as my truth. And I remember when I went away for college for the first time, up in Wisconsin, I went to a Baptist college there, and I remember God confronting me with the, I just kind of heard the word, um, because everybody kept questioning my beliefs, I guess, or it was just very strange how, how challenged I got spiritually speaking. And I kind of started realizing my words were because of what pastor so-and-so said, what pastor so-and-so said, what pastor so-and-so said. And then God said, you know, you know a lot about me, but you don't really know me. And that kind of just kept hitting like my heart and my mind like a lot as I like every day. And I do remember, and I know I probably told this story before, but the president of the college teaching on Jesus. And and it's it's simple as can be. Most people just kind of don't see what I saw. But he made the statement, he goes, When you accepted Jesus, did you accept Jesus because you wanted to go to heaven? Or did you accept Jesus because you wanted to be with Jesus? It was very profound to me. It, it made it like clicked because I had known all this knowledge and understanding of the scripture, but did not know how to apply it because I never actually understood what it meant to know Jesus, to know God. And I'm talking about relationship wise. I had a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, a lot of biblical information, but I wasn't necessarily living it all out how God wanted me to. I was avoiding, I was doing a very, very good job at holding on to standards. Very good job at holding standards. But I never was really living my life out for God as I was supposed to. And man, are we seeing a lot of it since 2020, a lot of just people just praising God and, and rejoicing, but they're not listening to what actually is being stated because it sounds good. It sounds truthful. It sounds right. And I was caught up in with a little bit of it for a time until I started noticing things until people started pointing out, like, what does that mean? And I started realizing that, you know, we're being bombarded with wordages that sound Christianese, but they're not. They're not Christian, not biblical. They're movements trying to create some form of perspective of what Christianity could be. And even more today, it's almost more accepting on things than it is saying, no, you need to repent. And we try to wrap our minds about the words that we hear, the ideologies that are being taught and, and expressed. But it's starting to sound very, very not what we were brought up with. And some people will say, well, that's because that's the old guard. This is the new guard. This is the, the new generation of Christianity. But why is it being so inclusive and so understanding? So acceptive about any questions. Nobody's questioning. Nobody's really researching. 
Nobody is really studying. Nobody's really paying attention. You know, Titus 2 is all about the teaching of the sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dig dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. You notice it doesn't just say older men are to be sober-minded and all about love. Which is an ideology that's going around that God is love, Jesus is love, God is love, Jesus is love. But that, that's a true statement. But where's the added information? Why is God why is God all about love? Why is Jesus about love? Because they loved us so much that he sent his son to die on behalf of us so that we would not have to be condemned. That's why Jesus loves us. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. It's still asking women to protect your minds and your hearts too. Interesting. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. It's very interesting that the word self-controlled keeps coming around over and over again. Sober-minded and self-control. Sober-minded and self-control. You know, I think that's one reason why we struggle in our sin, because we don't have self-control. Verse 7, show yourselves in all respects to be a model good works. An example, living it out, obeying, doing what the scriptures have asked of us. And in your teaching, show integrity. Once again, we've talked about this integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you act. Be careful how you present yourself. That's talking about, you know, you come in looking like a, like acting like a thug to people and you're cussing a storm and doing that. That's not loving and that's not walking with the Lord. That's not being respectful of the truth. Integrity, you, you respect women. You don't put yourself in compromising situations. What are you watching? What are you playing? What hobbies are you doing? Are they taking away from other responsibilities? Are you hiding? Are you going to work for longer hours to get away from family because you don't want to deal with the kids you don't want to deal with your wife? It's not walking in integrity. That's not showing dignity. Are you spending money like crazy on things when you know you, just because you don't want to look quote-unquote poor? And yet you don't have enough money for like rent or house payments. Verse nine. Oh, let's go to verse eight. Sound speech can condemn so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Nine. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be 
well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. There's a lot about Titus 2, and then verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, training us to renounce or renounce godly ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the coming of christ basically who gave himself for us to redeem us of all unlawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession with a zealous for good works declare these things exhort rebuke with all authority let no one disregard you. You know, there is in Scripture we're supposed to rebuke. That means if someone is teaching something that's not right, we're supposed to say something. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you're a heretic and you've made, you know, that you're speaking. It could be simply, I miss, even me, I misread something. Or I said something that maybe I miss, I didn't read the verse very carefully. Even yourself. But it can also be the worse. It could be people who are literally trying to teach false ideology for their own ideology. When our minds have the truth in Scripture, we obey. We could deny a lot of ways of ungodliness that wants to fill us with the lies. And if we are not careful, if we're not sober-minded, if we're not keeping self-control, it's going to be very easy to be influenced by things, by words, by ideologies, by misplacement of scripture, by not studying it because you don't see the difference. You know, if I told you the sky was pink and you kept telling me, no, it's blue, you kept telling me it's blue and I said, prove it, you would t tell me, look up. What color is it? And I say, it's pink. And you say, no, look, look, it's blue. Prove it. And you went and you actually studied about how the sky works and how it reflects and why it's blue. And you came back to me. That's a factual truth. A science truth. However, we could argue, well, the sky is pink when the sun goes out. Well, yes, but that's the reflection of the sun off of the reflection. But the idea is that we spend a lot of time hearing things and hearing things and hearing things over and over and over again. Have we been just accepting some of these biblical teachers teaching us things that, you know, I've been trying to get you to pay attention to like NAR. Um, you got the progressive movement. You got even old emergent church movement still hanging about. That's been kind of converted into the progressive movement. Um, you got these other groups coming out trying to teach a form of ideology that can get people questioning but aren't necessarily teaching the truth, in my opinion. Um, especially when you find out people who are behind it. And then you have personal agendas. You have cult groups. You have churches that are taking stances on what they think is conservative stances, but really it's just human-controlled ideology 
And so they speak on certain things and they speak against things. And it's very, almost very hateful and very dangerous. But then you also have just the culture itself constantly bombarding our minds. All it takes for us is to spend time in God's word. All it takes for us is to study, to ask questions, to find godly men and and you got, you know, women, godly women that you can trust with the truth. That they're going to be teaching from the Bible to you, not giving you all these side programs and and systems and spiritual awakenings and all this other stuff outside the scripture that they say will enhance your understanding. And what's going to enhance it is by living out the truth, by living out the Bible, by obeying it, listening to the Holy Spirit's discernment, asking God for his will in your life, paying attention to the words that you're hearing, paying attention to the things you're seeing. Because I could tell you this, the enemy loves to twist what we think. And I can tell you this, sometimes it makes me question if I'm looking at things wrongly, but then God kind of shows me, hey, you know, pay attention, look at this. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. My Spirit goes, hey, look look at the words that were used. That's not in my, that's not the Bible. They added something. That's why it's very important, guys, to study scriptures to be like if you're part of the discord group ask questions there's plenty of guys who can answer however anybody who answers should be mindful about the scriptures that they're using and making sure what they're answering is a biblical statement not just a personal one but if you guys are interested in joining the discord it is on facebook on on the group however if you email me i will send you the link uh but there you know i love when people ask questions i love when people are struggling that they share so other people other men can pray other men can talk to them and help them and encourage them <clears throat> even if you only talk once a month that is fine it is a place where you can come it's not a place where i'm hoping it's going to grow into something bigger in that sense but i do love the fact that there's a place for men to network and connect that is kind of the purpose behind why the Discord exists. And I hope that as more guys join, that we can get more guys and more involved and more talking, more more into the into connecting to one another. So this is why you know I'm talking about the mind today is very important to spend time in God's word. Because we need to help each other as men, but we also make sure ourselves we are focused on who God really is and be aware. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for this time. I ask you to bless this conversation. I pray that you help me. Help me to continue to walk faithfully with you. Help me to have a clear mind. Help me to obey you. Help me to follow the ways that you want me to go in my life and the choices that I make. But I ask for these men on their behalf that I pray that you give them wisdom and understanding. I ask that you help them in their walks. I ask that you allow them to be encouraged to spend more time in your word, to grow, to ask questions, and to discover more about who you are so that they are not fooled by the things of this culture and by the schemes of the enemy. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all have a very good week, and I will see you next time. God bless.